Well, this is definitely out of the ordinary. She certainly is. Thank you, Allie. Thank you for bringing me up out of my bubble of South Beach over here into Bell Harbor. Seriously insulated. (laughs) This is exciting. So today we have Allie Shapiro. And uh, Allie, we met actually at the Botanical Garden where... You, I, I was actually headed there to see Sandy Shapiro, and uh, and you found Ali Shapiro, and I found Ali Shapiro, um, and so it was funny because we actually ended up chatting for about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, <laughs> so we're we're gonna enjoy. What's his name? The dog here. That's Her name is Lily Boo Boo. Lily Boo Boo. Okay. And it's great when she goes exploring, it's a little more quiet. Well, uh, Lily Boo Boo has a genetic disease. It's neurological, it's genetic. It mirrors um, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. In a dog, it's called myelopathy. This is degenerative pug myelopathy. And it affects um, the nervous system. There is no treatment, there is no cure. So she, when she's most calm, and she does calm down. You know? Oh, sure. She yeah. comes down. It can have an effect. All right. So at the end of the day, Allie, you were a volunteer at the Botanical Garden, and you're not related to Sandy Shapiro. No, we grew up together. You did? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so as far as I know about you, I know that you're very colorful and, and friendly and talkative and my type of person. <laughs> So we ended up, you know, exchanging numbers and seeing each other a handful of times. Uh, always quite a huge joy to my day when I get to see you. I'm sure you bring the same joy to others. So, Allie, what's your story? Let's let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Long Beach, Long Island in 1952. My family was um, originally, I think, when they came off the boat, they wound up in Brooklyn. They stayed in Brooklyn. Um, the family had a number of businesses um, in all arenas, both hard and soft money. And um, they were pretty prolific. Uh, I think that around 1950, they pulled out of Cuba. They had businesses in Cuba. They had. Um, investments in some of the casinos in the hotels the Riviera and the Capri but they were pretty hip to what was going on um you know Fidel was there and um I think Batista was selling out and uh, they were smart enough to come back and they actually started to move a lot of the operations to Las Vegas and so in my teenage years, Las Vegas was very, very hot. We're talking the late 60s. And the shows were amazing. The whole scene was fabulous. And I used to go all the time with my sisters. So we sort of spent our time in Vegas as teenagers. We a lot of time in Europe. Um, I went to NYU. I had academic scholarships. Don't have a penny of student loans. There you go. Could you imagine? Um, undergrad and grad. That was a very good. What year. was your graduate degree in? 
my graduate degree was in education and yeah. conceptual art, you know, so it was the education side that I went for, the MFA. Um, but um, I was on the faculty at Parsons School of Design and Conceptual Design. Oh, yeah? And that's why I'm so powerful. Isn't Parsons in, like, Paris or something? Yeah, we have, we have, I lived in Paris. We have a Paris outpost. Okay. And we have an Italian outpost. Um, I think that there's a lot of exchange programs, like you could almost go anywhere in the world, you know, to do an exchange. I know that um, Berlin, especially for leather, if you're, you know, working with leather, Berlin, Stuttgart, um, those cities in Germany are very strong for that arena. Um, I know we had grad students who were going, doing um, some post-grad work in China in textiles, others in... Korea, okay. you know, so I mean, we had a lot of outposts. For this, is it, was it fashion, was it design, architecture? Well, yeah, fashion and design, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Michael Honnable, one of our previous guests, he went to Parsons in Paris. Oh, really? He got a degree there, yeah. So. Oh, he should, he probably knows who I am. I'll connect you guys together. Yeah, he, yeah, he might even <laughs> know who I am. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, prior to being on the faculty at the new school, I um, was poached by Les Wexner and Mike Weiss, and they were um, looking at opening a, a chain. I mean, it was a 40-store chain. That was the first, you know, rollout was 40 stores um, of hip, very hip, um, clothing for the 16 to 22 year old. I mean, the market was not touched and it just exploded. We became a billion dollar business in 10 years. Okay. And I was the design director. So that was really You were the cool. design director and is, lived in China, lived in, what Italy. was the name of the brand? Limited Express. Limited Express. Yeah. We had about a thousand stores, maybe 2000. Really? Yeah. What's happened to it since? Oh, it's still on the, it's still on the radar. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been enveloped into every other um, big box chain retail operation. You know, the identity has been almost as though it was put in a centrifuge. And what happened with the identity, it separated out the talent and the cost. And they're not doing both. Okay. They're really become a cost conscious business. Mm. So the clothes look cheap. Okay. So they just kind of lost to the the more, I mean, no one wants to wear clothes that look cheap. Like, ideally, you, well, that's even not today, true. Like, Actually, that's not true. So it's a fallacy. Everyone wants to wear clothes that's cheap. That's why. That are cheap, not that, look cheap. No. Looking cheap is really. A sense of style. It's a sense of um, quality. A lot of people cannot discern cheap. Well, like like I'm wearing this uh, this team this club sport team shirt, right. which is probably a very cheap shirt. Not necessarily. It could be well, you know, it's, you could say it's bought in bulk. Let's it's see just who, it's cotton. Let's see who made it. You know. Oh, you got a hole in it. There's a hole in it. So I, you could tell, now, in a way, you could say I look cheap, but at well, the same time, I'm not you, a cheap yeah, person. I'll tell you what these are. These are called blanks. They have no printing on them. They're bought by promotional marketers. 
So this was done for club sport. They gave it to you for free, or maybe you paid a few bucks, I don't know. But that's called promotional merchandise. And most of the blanks are either made in China, depending upon if you have any issues with, um, you know, quota or um, duties and taxes. You have to be very clear about what you're getting into. Bring goods in from China now. This is not 1985. And the domestic goods, you know, the cotton is carded. It's not a clean, fine cotton. Mm. This is carded. You feel how yeah, rough it's not it is? A, it's not Egyptian cotton. No, sure. it's not Egyptian at all. The thread it's, count. Yeah. It's not even Middle Eastern cotton. <laughs> it is garbage cotton. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I, I guess I... I mean, I, I got a volleyball game today, so I got to wear my garbage shirt, but I don't mind it. I, yeah. I, I'm not picky about that. But anyway, in your career... Okay, let's, let's fast forward. What was the most defining moment of your career? Was it that moment with that company, or what... Well, I, yes, I think it certainly set the stage and it created a barometer for success. You know, I was able to look at and achieve success. Right. And so that achieved success carried me into, you know, the depth of my career. Because when I left Limited Express, I opened my own offices in Hong Kong. Um, I did a Mm, about $150, $160 million by 2000. I left Express in 87, and by 2003, I was doing $150 million. Okay. What did you, how did you invest that money, and what did you do with it? Well, I mean, you know, when your volume is $150 million, that doesn't mean your profits <laughs> are $150 million. I mean, I think we netted about 2%, which is very good. Okay. We we were almost like brokers, you know? We had the quota, we had the yarn, we had the factories. It was like one-stop shopping. Yeah. And we did tre- tremendous business. I mean, with Target, Kmart, Walmart, it was huge. Okay. You know, it could be five items, and everyone bought the same thing in different colors. <laughs> and what was your, like, you were design director, and what was your secret sauce to the business that you brought to it? Um, bottom-up fashion, if I saw it on the streets. I mean, I was on the streets maybe 14 hours a day. In Hong Kong? Anywhere in the world. In China? Anywhere in the world. Doing research? Yeah. Anywhere in the world, actually. I mean, for me, it was nothing to take a flight. I mean, we had a private plane. It just, you know, I want to go on a Thursday night. I want to wind up in Milan on Friday morning, spend... Two days in Milan, have a good meal or two, and fly back. Oh my God, you are, oh my, Ali. So before I came over, I was like, Oh my God, she kind of reminds me of. You've seen The Incredibles, like the fashion designer yeah. of The Incredibles. Do you know where they are? <laughs> right, but I wasn't quite that. I wasn't affected. I mean, you're seeing me. This is how I look then, and I look this way now. But we're not videoing, and we're just talking, right? Oh, yeah, but no, it's. You're, people can get it, well, you have an amazing picture of you that we'll put on the Instagram, but I, we can do a Too video. Too bad they can't see the space. Cause really oh, I can do a video and share it. Everyone gets a story on Instagram. Yeah. They get a little video reel. So we'll do a video. Oh, I've, you know something? This is not my first 15 minutes. This is not your first 60 minutes. No, yeah. I mean, this is like, this is a 60 minutes of local uh, culture and uh, 
I think someday we might even be sponsored by like American Airlines or that something would be great. to help people enjoy travel more. That would be fun to talk about what's new and happening. Well, I could tell you, Simeon, that um, Miami's restaurant scene is exploding. I mean, absolutely exploding. Yeah. You've got Marcus Samuelson down here in Overtown, totally gentrifying the hood. I mean, these cats are swag. Yeah, <laughs> they are beautiful. They smell good. They look good. They're what are you talking educated. About? These cats. These cats that are down with Marcus Samuelson at Red Rooster. <laughs> They're very cool cats. The word cat. I don't think it's. I don't think it's derogatory. I think it's. Uh, it's slang. Slang. The cats. Yeah, it's from the music scene. It's. It is jazzy. It's, it's jazz. a jazz that, referral. That's my life. It's you can jazz. call me a cat. I don't mind that. I like jazz. <laughs> I mean, I travel the world for jazz. I'm sort of jonesing. So the cats of Miami, there's a lot of new people coming in. Every every few months, there's new. Every few months, there are newcomers to Miami setting up shop from a lot of other cities, especially oh, New yeah. York. For example, Hometown Barbecue, the yeah. best barbecue in, in Miami from New York. They're you know basically set up a second location here, so you see that all the time. But um, before we get to Miami too much. Uh, what was your first experience in Miami? Do you remember visiting as a tourist? Oh, I, we always had a home here. So I was never a tourist. Your family? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had a house on Pine Tree across from the Fontainebleau for years. And then apartments and, you know, Bay Harbor, California. Yeah, so we've been down here for years. Okay. You're, so you mean you're like, you're, when you were a little girl, you were coming here? Yeah. To go to the beach? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was never strange to me. Right. You know, so I like, grew up at the Forge. And Wolfie's. <laughs> Forge and Wolf- is that an old like ice cream joint or something? Yeah, or the that- Forge was a steakhouse and Wolfie's was a deli. Okay. You went for corned beef sandwiches, <laughs> and 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 you stole the bread. Stole and the, the bread? butter. What do you mean? It's a sandwich. You would go with your grandma. She would carry a shopping bag, and in the shopping bag went the bread, the butter, the pickles. Anything that was on the table went in the bag, and then she would wave at the waiter, who was about 95, she was 80, and <laughs> they were friends for 40 years, and she'd say, uh, Sammy, could you get me some more bread and butter and pickles? <laughs> and she'd dump it into the bag. <laughs> so then she would make more sandwiches. Yeah. Probably. Well, she didn't have any meat in the bag. She just had bread, butter, and pickles. I mean, a pickle sandwich out of that. So you guys had to go buy your own meats? No, you're not getting the story. Well, you have all this bread and pickles. What are you going to do with it? She's at a deli. There's a table of people. They're all ordering sandwiches. She's stealing the bread. She keeps on telling the waiter she needs more bread. She never ordered a sandwich. She's going to pick off of everybody else's plate. So does she go to the, the butcher and do the same thing? No, because <laughs> she can't do that at a butcher because the butcher doesn't have the bread, butter, and pickles. Get with the program. I'm saying she'd buy her own, she'd buy her own salami and, and deli meat. Well, I don't know. I mean, she probably would. Yeah. I mean, she may. What did she feed you? When, when what you did she feed? Oh, she was a great cook, my grandma. Yeah. She was a great cook. Yeah, she was, I mean, my grandfather was in the wholesale meat business. Oh, she, there you go. That's why you're stealing the breads. <laughs> now it makes sense. All right. So we got to it, but uh, after a little loop around. But anyway, so in your travels, uh, what was your favorite place to travel? Um, Paris. Paris. Okay. Always will be. Speak French? A little bit. 
Ok. Tu veux parler un petit peu français? Je vais pas te mettre euh, uh, on the spot. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I get along in Paris. I smile. I don't have to talk the language. Yeah. No, yeah, you're a charming, charming individual. So thank you. They would, they would have a hard time not liking you. No, I, I love Paris. I, I mean, I, I feel much more comfortable in Paris than in anywhere in America. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not American in my spirit. Just like fashion, just like you know. Just the whole vibe. Standards of lifestyle. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. The French know. I don't like big box mentality. I don't like chain stores. Even though that was what you were selling? Yeah, that's, that's what I, where I made you know, my career. But I don't like them. I find them cold and antiseptic. You know, I love a little... So were you a little bit uh, kind of, like your soul wasn't in it? Were you like... Oh no, my soul was in it, honey. The bank book and the soul were in it together. <laughs> okay. You keep winking yeah. at me here. Yeah. So No, so, I'm telling you. I mean, you know... So you sold your soul. I didn't sell... Bit. No, never sold my soul. I only did product that I wanted to do. If Even I though it was big box, I, totally, it was the most creative time in the in the industry. But it's not something you would ever wear or buy. Oh, absolutely, I you wear were wearing absolutely. what you were selling. Absolutely, that's key. And I have to listen. To, I have to listen to this after I talk with you, <laughs> just to edit it, you know, every time. But uh, all right, so you traveled a bunch. You always had roots here. What was that moment when you like? Obviously, you're still active, super active. But was there a moment when you decided to retire? Just, and from that Well, I world, got shot. You got shot. I got shot in New York in 2010. Uh, a little robbery. Nothing much, about $4 million. And um, <laughs> it's, it sort of changed the trajectory of my life. Do I sound like Dana Bash from CNN? The trajectory has changed. Okay. Oh. And um, I had to take a, a look at what I was doing. I was really running in a very fast crowd. A bit fast at what age were you? Uh, 57, 56. You're still kind of hanging with the youth kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was very active. I was out and about and, you know, doing lots of things, a tremendous amount of volunteering. Um, I was teaching graduate school, so I had four sections. Um, I was doing designing for um qvc yeah you know we were busy i was very busy and um it just was a very odd thing that happened um nothing like it had ever happened for 28 years in my zip code so um it was really looked at as quite a serious issue was it at night no 12, 10 in the afternoon. What what part of New York? Upper West Side. What, were you were you just flamboyant as usual? No, then... I had just had surgery. Um, I had a spine surgery. I was home. Um, I had a pretty big art collection. You were oh they came into your house. You yes, said the burglar. They broke up. They broke in. Well, they didn't actually break in. They said that they were going to be delivering a bike for my son. And they would, and the guy was dressed as a UPS driver. This is like Scarface. The delivery that goes yeah. bad. <laughs> or right, exactly. It was like I saw a movie. It was turning in my head. And they shot you. In what part of your body? In my well, they went for my head. They were trying to kill me because they wanted to find 
where all the money was. Yeah. But the money wasn't there. But they found. But you didn't want to tell them anything. No, there's nothing to tell. You're willing to tell them, but they believe you. Right. Exactly. But they got all the jewelry. You know, they knew what they were coming for. I mean, it's amazing. It was an inside job. The architects were involved. Wow. So you obviously had to move from there. I I never went back. Yeah. I was shocked. Did you move from New York? No, no, no. I um, I never went back to the apartment. Yeah. My grad students packed me up a few months later. I um, I moved to Union Square, which was a whole different life, but the university is down there. In New York? Right. And, um, you know, it was really interesting because, you know, I went as a single woman, and I had been married for 26, almost 27 years. So when I... When I never went back to that apartment, I didn't go back to my life. What do you mean? Was that the point where... I, I got separated from my ex-husband. At that point? Uh, yeah. That kind of was a catalyst yeah. for a lot yeah, of things? Yeah, total. Like a total Why life did, change. I don't want to be... I don't want to pry, but like, well, yeah. how did the shooting have to do with your relationship? Well, there was uh, you know a big build-up to the shooting. It was not a total surprise. There were situations that occurred um, which were documented. You know? Did you think he was in on it? No, I didn't think he was in on it. I, I think that um, as fabulous a guy as he was, I don't think he really saw the the intensity of the situation. He's very cool. Mm. Very cool, very collected, like ER medicine, you know? Okay. They don't crash. Is he a doctor? Yeah, he's a doctor. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so, you know, his, like, take on it, was you'll be fine don't Ah. worry and here i am like you know i'm dying i'm bleeding out you know yeah okay now i get it i had a total freak out i never went back you had yeah no i said this is not for me i'm fucking dying you know and um thank god i wasn't but you know i thought i was you know i mean there was a there's right. a hole in my leg. I, I got a terrible staph infection. I was really sick. Okay. It was bad. So you had to retire because of that? No, or? I didn't retire. I just sort of cut back, you know, from four sections to two. You know what I mean? I didn't do the crazy traveling. I It took months to heal. Mm-hmm. But then you bounced back. I, bounce, I always do. You're like 50 cents. You're, like, you're almost wearing like a do-rag. I love Man, it. It is a do-rag. <laughs> It's one of your favorite outfits. See, I have a picture of you. At the yeah, party. this I love orange. Oh yeah, it's great. orange is a, is the color of like happy, happiness. happiness, the sun, the sun, yeah. the bright sun. Yeah. So, all right, so you bounce back, and all right, so let's let's hear. It. We were waiting for it. What was the moment where you decided to move from New York to Miami, like officially? Like, um, well, it really wasn't a moment. I was in Paris, and we had had the terrorist attacks, and I had a deal on an apartment. I had money down, and it was um, the Beauce de Boulogne, you know, the gardens, the beautiful gardens. Where, here? In Paris. You you moved to Paris first. I was in, per- I was in Paris. You first you moved New York to Paris. Right. Okay. And then all the terrorist attacks, things were rough. I couldn't really s- feel comfortable there. Um, and I couldn't really afford to live in New York in the style that I was accustomed to living because I pretty much, you know, stopped working. Right. I mean, I was living, you know, I had money and I was enjoying my life. Right. 
But um, I said I'd never live in Florida. I sold my mother's apartment down the street a few years ago. Um, I said I'll never have a doggy carriage. I have a doggy carriage because my little doggy is paralyzed. Um, I said I'll. I said I'd never go to a happy hour. Not my scene. You're so sit. you're so human, Ali. Yes, I want to sit at you know a, a, a table and have someone serve me, not throw a drink in front of me and say, "Hey, what do you want?" Yeah. So um, it, it's been a rude awakening here. I think the most shocking thing in this state is the IQ average. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, you got lines at Costco, and you're saving three cents a gallon on gas. And your tank can only hold eight gallons, so you're online for an hour and a half to save twenty four cents. I mean, talk to me about that mentality, you know. Right. So I'm a New Yorker, and we're efficiency experts. Mm-hmm. To live in New York, you must have a PhD in engineering and a specialty in supply chain management, <laughs> because everything is so connected. That you really have to understand how to play the game, right? No, it's uh, you have to hustle. I mean, you have to, so there's a lot of hustlers here yeah. as well, but there's also no. I think the the difference Miami here yeah. is that Miami has grifters and scammers. They're not as smart as the hustlers. We got the hustlers. Atlanta has the hustlers. Vegas has the hustlers. Miami has the grifters and hey, the scammers. I interview a lot of hustlers on the podcast. I know we got hustlers, but we also have, you know, Florida is very, can be, you know, middle of Florida. Lots of parts of Florida are a little bit backwards. Let's just be real. You know, we're, we are in the more progressive part of the state, you know, at the very least. Um, it's no New York, but, um, you know, it's, it is almost a product of New York. There's so much culture here comes from New York. I was just at the Museum of Graffiti and they were, talking about how a lot of the first Miami graffiti artists were people from were New Yorkers who were sent here. Their families sent them here because they were in trouble right. from graffiti yeah, in New York. Yeah, they were the Bronx and Brooklyn boys <laughs> painting yeah. the car trains. So it's a very, it's like yeah. a, it's a whole they're, culture. they're sister cities. Um, and so you still haven't told us, you still haven't done the story about, okay, the retirement and the, the moving here. So you sold your grandmother's apartment down no, the street. No, my mother's. Your mother's. And so... Okay, so I sold my mother's apartment. I I, I was going to, you know, use part of that money for the place in Paris. And um, I was in Paris, and I loved it, and I was very, very happy. But the terrorist attacks, the whole anti-Semitism, you know, was pretty Mm -hmm. loud and proud. They were owning it. Mm -hmm. They didn't want you around. It was scary. And, um, you know, I never felt uncomfortable anywhere in the world. I mean... I've lived in the Middle East. I've traveled through Africa. I've been to, you know, countries that have no flags or phones. You know, it's, it's um, you know, one of these little rolling plastic, almost like a wheel in the middle of a desert. And the plane lands and the luggage drops down on a wheel. And they roll it out, you know, and then you get into some kind of car. So you're being, you've been in the Sahara? Oh, yeah. They should make a movie on you. I should, yeah, <laughs> there was a few. What would you title the movie about you? Nah. Nah. I have, <laughs> I have no idea. That's the name of the I'll movie. I'll come up with it. I have I no, have no idea. idea. Really, I never knew what was going to happen. I really had no idea. I mean, I would sit out in the morning, you know, in one of these countries, 
and I never knew where I was going to wind up or with who. I was like, sure. You know what I learned to do? I had photocopies in every part of me of my passport, <laughs> my driver's license. To tattoo it on yourself. And, you know, I was thinking of that, but it was <laughs> going to have to be too much. And so everywhere you turned, every pocket was a photocopy. <laughs> there were no cell phones. There were no digital beepers. The only way someone could find me was through the American Express office in the city. Now, if it was not a big city, I mean, Sayuta, Morocco did not have an American Express office. Beirut, mm. you know, or Marrakesh, you know, or Casablanca. But Sayuta didn't have an American Express office. So you had to get from, you know, from Sayuta you know, to one of the big cities, and then you can maybe get the $25 that your mother sent you. All right. I'm still good. We're still beating around the bush here. Okay, the Miami story. The Miami story. So I, I got here in December, excuse me, March of 2016. Oh, it's recent. Yeah, it's not long at all. March of 2016, and um, the first thing I did was um, set up a Tinder profile. <laughs> I figured this is not for me. I am not going to be sitting at a bar stool at Morton's Steakhouse on Biscayne, eating some steak salad for $29. That is not my style, you know. I'd rather have one fabulous Negroni or Cosmo at a, you know, at a very fine place, like a Milos. I don't think, you know, yeah. Morton's is my style. So, um, you know, it was really interesting. So um, I came down here. Everybody said I needed a car. And I said, okay, I'll find like, you know, some kind of cheap, you know, Fiat or something. Oh, no, 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 not you. You can't drive a Fiat or a Honda or a Chevy Spark. You must have a 530i BMW. I said, I don't want a 530i BMW. That's too, like, that's not me at all. Never. My sister talked me into a 530i BMW, and I literally could not drive it. You So you still have it? No. I left it at Walmart on 163rd Street. <laughs> I didn't want it anymore. And my son couldn't listen to me. He said to me, I don't have the bandwidth for this. I'm too busy. Do what you want. You're not going to listen to me anyway. How many kids do you have? One. Your son? Okay, so, all right, so what, what do you drive now? Nothing? I drive a Chevy Spark. The Chevy Spark. That's much more your style. It's it's turquoise with yellow lemon leather Oh, my interior. God. Can you go show it to me out yeah. there? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's fabulous. <laughs> Take a video of that. Yeah, uh, and I look great in front of the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, so, all right, so you, you're pretty recent, and, and actually, this is one other thing this podcast is great for, is all the transplants, all the people who are movers and shakers and... For one reason or another, they move to a new city. So I have a lot of experiences moving as a kid and also in my adult life. And when you're in a new city, it's always great to listen to the people yeah. who know the city and what their recommendations are. So what was key for you to kind of feel connected here uh, in, in Miami? Was it just finding the garden? As no, being a volunteer no, no, no. There? I mean, Sandy's been my friend. You know, we grew up together. So and I knew the garden and I knew Sandy. So it wasn't finding it. Um, I'm really lucky that I have some fabulous cousins, you know, so they really embraced me. We're all arty farties, you know, we're all sort of kooky and eccentric, so it's fun. We had a lot of good times. Um, 
I have a number of high school friends that live in the Boca del Rey area, which is definitely not me. And um, they laugh at me because I'm so different, and I laugh at them because they're all the same. So it's an interesting, you know, um, it's an interesting commodity, these friendships. Because, you know, being friends with someone when you're young and you're impressionable, right? You're either going to be with the mean girls or you're going to be running the crew. And now it's so interesting because, um, you know, I think a lot of people shook out in the four years of Trump. It was like, you know, getting a load of pot and all the garbage on the bottom, you know, the shake, you just threw it out. You didn't even try to clean it up. And I think that's what happened with a lot of friendships. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, it, you know, crisis brings out, uh, you know, truth in a lot of us. Uh, find out what we're made of, find out who our real friends are. Um, but you're not really, okay, aside from the network you already have, I'm interested more in, you know, you know, as, as a senior and, and just, you know, apart from your, your connections, how did you come more involved down here in Florida? Cause imagine there's a lot of people moving here. Okay. So for me, it was, um, the lack of culture, the lack of, you know, the big city universities where you could, you know, audit a class at Columbia you know, you could be a, um, a post-grad student at NYU. You want to be, you know, take science classes, art classes, history classes, anything. Um, that's not really here. What's here is like OSHA um, classes for seniors and are pretty, pretty weak. I mean, not academic at all. It's like for somebody that really maybe didn't have any education and was a senior and got a chance, you know, to have free time and start to learn. So I totally support it, but it was not for me. So I tried a few of those and I mean, it was really interesting. I went to one lecture and the woman was talking about a very, um, a very touchy subject. I think, you know, it was, um, it was, about her experience as the daughter of a mobster. And I thought, that's an interesting topic. I'm going to go listen to her <laughs> learn something, right? And um, at the end of her speech, which was nothing, clearly nothing, um, I started to ask her questions. And there was no responses. You know, I asked, like, you know, in what year did this happen? You know, where did it happen in Brooklyn? Or, you know, where did it happen in Queens? Or you're talking about a bridge, you know, going over a bridge. Which bridge was it? And I couldn't get any answers. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is all fabricated. And it turns out it was. Okay. (laughs) She really, and that's what, like, turned me off to that whole you know, senior class thing that I thought I would dig into. And I really then had so much free time, you know, that I said, what am I going to do? So I picked certain things that were of interest to me. I love classical music. So I volunteered at the New World Symphony, mm. you know, twice a week. Yeah, I know one of the directors there runs with us. He's in okay. the run club. So I was there all the time, 
you know, I was there on a weekend night and either a Sunday afternoon, maybe a Saturday matinee, you know, maybe I do two in one day or during the week for some of the student work. You know, so I really love the student work. Um, and also the Perez because of the art. Perez Museum? Yeah. You know, so I volunteered there. Um, the Arts Center, because I love theater, so I volunteered there. And then the Garden, which is my major volunteering position, you know, that is, um, you know, the lead on the resume of volunteering is the Garden. Why? Um, how many hours you put 20 in? 20 hours a week. 20 hours. It's almost a, a part-time job. Yeah, it? and I love it. I mean, because I'm a tree hugger. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, look at it. Look at, you're inside my apartment. What do you see here? A lot of, a lot of trees, yeah. A lot of green. Uh, yeah, so you're in your element. I mean, you're usually sitting right on the outside. Like, do you go walk through it even? Or I know, I, yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, I have to go to the bathroom, so I've got to walk across the lawn or through the bricks. You know, I mean, I'm in and out of the office all the time. You know. So, what are your main hours for people to see it? Eleven to three thirty. Every day. No, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, so you take off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Other you volunteer elsewhere, or you just take those days off? No. Yeah. No, I just sort of hang like I was doing my chores. You know, yeah, I said good. four, four thirty. I got stuck. The bridge was up. I mean, you know, it was just a, another Tuesday. Um, but I'm really lucky. You know, I'm really lucky. I mean, I have nice friends. Um, I, I certainly had to do, you know, some very serious, heavy washing. You know. Washing of washing out of people. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just threw them in heavy, hot, <laughs> extra Turn rinse. Turn hot, extra, extra, extra rinse. <laughs> I figure if they could last through that extra rinse, I'll keep them as a friend. But nobody survived. Oh, you have some, you said. No, yeah, but the, it's not. It's not those that um, find you know education ugly and stupid. You know, it's not those that think you know one. One is an academic, they're a snob, you know. So you really get to filter. It was wonderful. It's like one of those French presses, and you saw all the coffee grinds coming up. <laughs> now, you are uh, you're an inspiration, actually, I think, to me and to, to anyone, any age, that, you know, the most important thing in life is find out what you love and go there and serve, volunteer, be in that world yes. that you love because for example me you know i love interviewing people so i kind of realized recently i was not interviewing people enough so i'm going to start hitting the streets and like getting real conversations from locals and putting it on, on instagram but anyway i'm that, that came from some reflection about okay what do i love to do and some good books and stuff and and yeah like find what you love and go there you know and that's that's how seniors as well i mean some seniors move here uh, to and, die. <laughs> and they stop and, and they sometimes, you know, they just play golf and that's it. But like, I think you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of people to, to keep going out. Even, you know, some people might have a mindset of Miami, oh, Miami is this, Miami is that, I can't find this, I can't find that. But here you are and you adapted, right? You went out and found your favorite museums and places and, you know, art havens that you could spend your time there and meet like-minded people. So that there's something for everyone in Miami. It's such a huge city. Um, yeah, you are an inspiration. I think um, Miami requires one to be much more proactive. And um, I, I do believe that a car is necessary. I mean, you could Uber, you know, you could do, you know, zip cars and things like that.
but public transportation is extremely weak in the size city. Mm. I mean, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, to explore Greater Miami, to get to know Greater Miami, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so you know, um, I have no problem. I I volunteer at WDNA, the Jazz Station, um, and I go all the way to Coral Gables for that. That's a long ride, you yeah. know. And at eleven o'clock at night, coming back. What time do you do that? Um, usually the shows when they were in live, you know, the show would start at eight. I'd get there at seven, you know, um, I usually had something to do with the guest relations, you know, something dealing with the people, you know, not behind the scenes very much. I am the scene. <laughs> I become like the destination. Look for that girl. So if you like call the jet, the station, you would answer or like what? Sometimes. Oh. Yeah. Not often, but if Sarah was busy and she said, oh, could you pick up the phone? Yeah. But no, I was really just, you know, a liaison between the musicians and the um, audience. Okay. It was fun. I loved it. Okay. And so I did that at WDNA. And so what I've been able to do is expand my actual, you know, base of friends. And then you have friends in all different walks. So, you know, through DNA, WDNA, I met musicians, women who are musicians. Yeah. So it's sort of cool, you know? I mean, there's sax players, guitarists, very cool. So it's Women's it's women's History Month, and we're going to have four women. You're the first of four women. Who are some of your favorite women musicians or people in Miami? Well, um, my favorite woman musician is not in Miami. Right. But um, let me start with those people that sing, because I think a voice is the most you know amazing instrument one could have. And so, of the singers um, on the jazz scene, um, Melody Gardot is spectacular. Uh, Hillary Cole, of course, Diana Krall. She's, She's you know, Miami based. No, nobody's Miami based. Hey, just give me one Miami. Um, maybe um, I don't know if Cyril or me is here now because she's between Europe and Miami. Um, there's also, uh, Savant, uh, I think her name is Camille Savant, but she's between Paris and Miami. She's Asian. Um, there's Nicole Yardy, Yard, Yardley or Yardley. Do you listen to Latin music at all? Gloria yeah. Estefan. Well, Gloria Estefan is, you know, Gloria Estefan. I love, I actually do like running to her music sometimes. Yeah, it's, just it's like, fun. It's, 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 got it's a all good energetic, beat. you know? Yeah, it's got a good beat. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great musicians in Miami. There really are. Sammy Figueroa is great on Congo. You know, he really knows how to bang it. And um, you've got some really good singers that, you know, I've come across. Have I real, you know, have I um, digested their names? Not really, you know, because not that outstanding. Right. Good, but, you know, I'm not running back. Okay. okay. But um, I think that, you know, you have one wonderful place in uh, north in Boca called the Funky Biscuit. Yeah. Which is a very cool club. It's like the talk house in Amagansett you know, out on the beach, and it, it gets a really good crowd, and it's, um, you know, it really is, you know, funny funny one would say, but it really is a crowd that's 50 and over. You know, the Funky Biscuit. Yeah, the Funky Biscuit. You should interview some of the guys. They're very yeah. interesting. Uh, speaking of your digestion, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, restaurants around here? 
Here in Bell Harbor? Or, you know, Miami, Greater Miami. Okay, so um, I like Milos. Milos or Milos? Milos. Milos. Is, okay. Which is down near the point in South Beach. Okay. Um, not far from Joe's Stone. Oh, South Point. Yeah. yeah, South Point. So Milos for a fabulous meal. Um, Joe's Stone for either their fried chicken or their stone crabs. But the stone crabs are like $75 a portion. So you got to be really stoned to eat those crabs. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I love, love, love Heartland, which is in... Oh, I love that venue. Outdoors. Yeah, have great, you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. I had a friend had a birthday party there. Yeah, very cool joint. Yeah. Really cool. The grill is fabulous. Yeah. Um, I love Heartland. I love that it has all the global music. You know, one night you go hear somebody on a trombone and the next night they could be on you know an african horn and you know really yeah. cool music um i also like um red rooster i think it's a lot of fun i like looking at the gorgeous men you know the they're beautiful <laughs> they're beautiful they smell good they dress great i mean and the ones that are successful oh my I'm talking God. about Jazz musicians? Or no, what? I'm talking about like guests at the Red Rooster. Okay. A really cool crowd. You should there. You can get some fabulous interviews. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a really cool crowd. The food is great. Um, I think that Amar Pacifica, uh, which is I think in the teens near Biscayne Bay, you know, in the back there, uh, that's great. The view is outstanding. Silver Lake, a really cool place near Normandy Isle. Great food. My cousin designed all the interior, uh, the fabrics and everything. Really fabulous graphic artists. <laughs> That's a pitch. For Sarah Kaplan, I draw the line.com. Okay, well, you, you've given us plenty. Uh, I got a lot of places to go eat now. Um, it is Women's Month. So, besides musicians, is there maybe one other woman? One or two women in Miami that you really respect or that are inspirations to you? No. No. No? <laughs> I haven't met, I mean, are there women that I enjoy their company? Yes. Has anybody inspired me? Absolutely not. Okay. No. Um, I didn't expect that one. No. I, re I mean, I can't, I can't honestly tell you that I've been, you know, um, engaged and enamored by anybody in Miami. Let alone a woman. Wow, we all, we had a good podcast there for a while. No, I'm being very honest. I mean, okay. you know, what, should I tell you, oh, yeah, Adrian Arch? No. I mean, am I impressed with the money that she was able to surmount and, you know, make um, this amazing center? Yes. I mean, she's a philanthropist. You know, she's doing good work. But as a person, I mean... Did well, we... did you really know her? No. Okay, no. so, you, I mean, at the end of the day... You're, it's true. It's a, it's a tough question to ask somebody. Well, yeah, but, you know, I think it's important, you know, to say that I'm a volunteer there, but I never was once introduced to her. I've never been as a volunteer when they have the meetings of 200 people. Did she say, let me introduce myself? Right. I'm Adrian. Right. You know? I mean, interestingly enough, Michael Tilson Thomas has done it at the New World Symphony. Always says hello. Hi, I'm Michael. So you, you look up to great men in Miami. I Well, I mean, he's one person. Okay. Um, you know, there were guys that I really looked up to. I mean, I think Tony Goldman changed the whole face 
of Miami. Well, who's, who's Tony Gold? He, he, he recreated South Beach. He's an architect? Winwood, no, he's a property developer. Okay. Yeah, he did Winwood, South Beach. I mean, Washington Street was Tony. You know, early, early on. My dad did a lot of business with him. They were investors. They were buying up, you know, all the burnt-out buildings. Okay. Um, I think that the men and women that really were the movers and shakers are not with us anymore. You know, you have a lot of young money, a lot of South American young money. Now, you know, I, I look at money very differently. I like to see earned money. Trust fund money doesn't impress me. Right. There's a lot of great musicians and artists that have chosen Miami as their home. I, I can't say that, you know, they're not great people. I also, I don't, what I, what I can say is that there's a time for transforming a city and there's a time for, you know, celebrating and, and making music about a city. But those days are gone where we had those, you know, Carl Fisher. We had people right. who, like, designed Miami. Yeah. Like, that's festival. That's very Absolutely. special. Absolutely. And there's people, there's cities out there in the U.S. where that's happening now. Oh, yeah. There are later developments. But you're right. A lot of the great people who transform Miami already kind of lived because Miami's quite transformed already, yeah. you know? No, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think Miami in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, before the Miami Vice scene. Incredible growth. Uh, yeah, incredible. Incredible. Property was value was just through the roof. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, Miami, and Miami, look, where else could you sit in the United States and look out the window? Look at the window. Your view, is that what you love? So, so if you had to pick one thing, I'd say, Allie, what do you love about Miami? What do I love about Miami? The weather. The weather. Yeah. It's usually the first thing people go to. I mean, yeah. one reason why we're all here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I love the cold and I have all the furs, so. Right. You would thrive with all your, with your wardrobe up there. Yeah. I, you love this season in Miami because you can still wear your... your oh, yeah, yeah. There's I mean, a season for these this. These were my mother's. They're like 50-year-old pants. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it's cool. I love getting the senior discount at TJ Maxx. <laughs> I mean, that is the highlight of my week on a Monday. But you only get that in Miami? I never got it anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, you know, so that is really, I mean, it's a destination. <laughs> I plan my day around TJ Maxx on okay. a Monday, and I give myself $25. I that's cannot, fun. I have never spent so a That's Miami, how you spend your days off. Oh, any, no. I have not spent a penny more than $25 for anything in Miami. Besides your Chevy Spark? Ex except for the Chevy Spark. Okay. But, I mean, it's funny, you know, anything that I'm wearing is... <laughs> And then your apartment is quite nicely designed here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're quite the character. Uh, if you'd say there was one thing that really makes you who you are, like in terms of like your just the way you your outlook. Obviously, you're very adventurous, but you know, in terms of your character, is there one thing that that yeah, absolutely uh, what definitely. stands out about yourself? I think um, I you know for me, um, I've had the great fortune to be able to study with some of most amazing professors in the world. And um, I did a postgrad degree at um, Columbia with Cornell West. And um, 
I think the most engaging work that was done was the study of um, Plato and Socrates and the writing. Saw in your bathroom, yeah. Yeah. The ideal society. Right. What, exactly. What is that to you? Well, for, so let's talk about that. You know, um, it's really a sense, and it's written. I mean, if you had an opportunity, pick up Plato's writing on one's agency. Um, it talks about the ownership of behavior, the ownership of action. And, you know, we all are talking about one that needs to be in action, right? That if you're stagnant, you don't grow. This work, thinking about when it was done, right? Could you imagine it was, you know, the Trojan horse and the Odyssey and the talk about one's agency? And one's agency really is the developing factor in the psyche. One's agency. Yes. It's a very interesting concept. Um, I, I would suggest anybody who's interested in learning to really get a hold of what their agency and how they live it. So what does that mean, one's agency? It's how you live life. It's how you own your actions. It's your sense of responsibility. It's your sense of um, being brutally direct rather than in agreement we have a society that looks for agreement right? right well you know you tend to be the outcast when you don't agree and that could be right or left right i mean the when you are have a very developed agency agreement is not important you're not looking for it you own your thoughts you own your action. You own your being. And so one's agency is how you present yourself to the world. It's willing to be you, 100% you, and, and having your own opinions and being and going out on a limb or going traveling alone or going exploring, like just those exactly. kinds of things. Exactly. Having an individualistic spirit. Um, it's individualistic, but it's more humanistic. It really looks at how you interact with community. You right. know, you're not you're not an island by yourself. You know, really. I mean, we talk about this now during the pandemic. We could do it together. We could do it together. I mean, up until the pandemic, were we talking about doing things together? Come on. Let's face it. I'm an academic. I sat on the faculty. It wasn't about doing things together. It's like, I need to get the recognition. I'm going to self-promote myself. I'm not looking at the team. So you're saying, well, on one hand, obviously crisis brings out great things in society. In both sides, yeah. And so that's one thing coming out of COVID will be more appreciative to get together. But what you're really saying is that you know, how you look at community uh from your own agency, just seeing yourself as someone that could be much more involved. Yeah. Yes, in, yes, yes. Not not a watcher. Right. Not an observer. Ah, a lot in of action. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about action-oriented behavior. Exactly. I think that's what all of us could use is more scheduled hours in our week where we serve or where we're involved, where we Absolutely. say, I go to this run club every week and I'm going no matter what. Or I'm going to go serve here, right. volunteer here every week, no matter what. I think weeklies. I think that's what I love to promote is more weeklies. I have so many. My my week my schedule has 
80, 100 weeklies. Yeah, me too. It's weekly, weekly, everything. And that gives some space for variety, but the weekly consistency, agency. Absolutely. I think that it's very important if you're able to look at um, the development of um, a control group. You know, let's say you choose a group and you follow them. Um, My son was part of one of those groups that was followed from the time he was about two to five. Um, He very early on showed signs of dyslexia which wasn't surprising. I'm dyslexic. My father was dyslexic. I have two sisters that are both dyslexic. You know what I mean? We got dyslexia. It's like red hair. Um, And what we started to notice was that when he had a schedule and a pattern of events, his results were much better. When it was an empty afternoon you know, hang out and put on Nickelodeon, it was chaos. Chaos. And the best place for a kid like him was either in a museum, because he's very visual, or a library with a book, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's interesting because he wasn't a team player, And he was always a good athlete, but never really wanted to be part of a team. His agency was so well developed at an early age that he knew he didn't need the agreement. He didn't have to be part of a rah, rah, rah. There's something to be said. There's good things about being part of a team. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of a team of volunteers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he does volunteering and he is part of a team today. You know, but as a young person, you know, that's, I think, got him through a lot of challenges. You know, he had a very strong will. Developing one's willpower. For me, uh, lifting weights does that. So I got to go hit the gym. I go to the gym every Tuesday for some kind of team sport. So I got to go. But You only go to the gym once a week? No, twice a week. In terms of weights, I do, I run and yoga and other things. I swim, I mean. But, like, I have a lot of variety in my week. But I do gym every every Tuesday, which today is Tuesday. So I got to go. I mean, I'm flexible on that front because my volleyball game is different every night. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I got to run. And thank you so much for letting I mean, me experience so your space. Fun. And it was fun. And you are an incredible personality. And Miami is gracious to you for entertaining us and well, with your you so with much. your flair and um, also motivating and inspiring us to to serve. So um, there, we do have a local voices volunteer hotline where you can text a certain number down to serve, and then we will actually help you find opportunities that are good for you. Because I know it's, it's good to have a, a buddy or someone helping you find those things yeah, sometimes. Because definitely. I've been frustrated before trying to find a volunteer opportunity that was open during COVID. And at some point I was like, wow, like, I was just like, kind of like sad that like, I'm trying to help, but there's no one who wants, yeah, no one want wants me. So at least we like, we can coach and help people find that so opportunity. So this is your website? I set up the hotline, yeah. It's a, it's a phone number you can text. You'll send it to me? I'll send it, yeah. It'll be on the podcast, so. Well, I want to, I want it so I could post it on Facebook. Yeah, I'll share it with you. Yeah. And yeah. So you have a Facebook page for it too? Yeah, yeah. Cool. It'll be on there. Yeah, awesome. I mean, a lot of people go, oh my God, you volunteer so much. Well, how do you find the volunteering positions? I see you asked. 
Well, of course, you create them if you need yeah, sometimes you if you ask, need to. You ask. Well, especially find out what worlds you love. You have to have that, that oh, strong passion. Oh, you have to passion. know exactly what you want. You gotta love it. I mean, sometimes you sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. I don't. I mean, you don't have necessarily. A lot of people can find discover loves later in life. So you can't say, oh, you know, I'm not loving this. I can't do it. But no, it's like you can discover what you love as well at any age. It's right. not too late to discover what you love. So I love interviewing people, and I discovered that recently. And thank you for letting me interview Ali. My Allie. pleasure. Have a, you know, I'm so excited to, uh, you know, have a long friendship with you as well. I always tend to see you around town anyways. And now I know a lot more about your story and uh, what makes you so... Uh, Tick. So I don't like that word. Oh, I love, I love, I love hearing what makes word, you tick. No, no, I wouldn't say that. I say, I say, I love knowing more about what oh. makes you flamboyant. And, I, and you know, do you really find me flamboyant? I don't know if that's <laughs> the right word. I'd say radiant. What well, makes you? I high five that. I love knowing more about what makes you radiant. Yeah, Allie, thank, thank you, you so much. I All like right. radiant better. It's better. <laughs>